thank you so much. And I would like to begin by thanking all of you for this opportunity, uh, this privilege to serve you this morning uh, with God's Word. I'm very eager and very excited uh, to share with you uh, what the Lord has spoken. Uh, I think with everything that has just been going on this past week, uh, it's a bit of an understatement to say that June has been quite the spectacle. In the midst of what our country has referred to as Pride Month, we just had the overturning of Roe v. Wade. And sure enough, if you have access to some smart device, you will see a wide spectrum of responses to what is happening. Now, as Christians, this is, without a doubt, a time to pay attention, to listen, to reflect, to pray, and to respond to respond from a premise that you recently covered back in 1 John 1.9, in which the Apostle had said, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I feel it necessary before beginning to share this reminder that there is still much work on our behalf. There is a much-needed time for us to be praying for the homosexual, for the abortion supporter for the abortion doctor. As long as they have breath, there is still hope for those whose hearts are still stained by sin and death. With everything going on, you can't help but be reminded that there is most certainly a clash between two opposing truth claims. Just last week, I came across a post on social media from an old friend of mine uh, who was venting out their frustrations with what they at least perceived to be outdated perspectives from Christians towards everything that's been going on in Pride Month. Going so far as to state that the Bible has been rewritten and mistranslated so many times. Their conclusion was that any arguments to be presented on these matters from Scripture were invalid. They were void on the sole basis that it's not the truth. This person's not the only one identifying as a Christian that makes these sort of claims that we cannot trust the foundations of our faith as they are presented to us in Scripture. Because what we perceive to be in the Scriptures is just simply not the truth. So they say, this is most disturbing if true. It's true, it's disturbing because if there's anyone who should know the truth, it is the Christian. Now, up to this point in 1 John, we've seen the Apostle put an emphasis on the Christian's call to love one another, as is so fitting for those who abide in the true light. Uh, John's audience were men and women who knew God and through God overcame the evil one. So on this entire premise, John then strongly advocates for a separation between church and world. There is a clash in culture between these two domains. One that concludes only in destruction, whereas the other one has no conclusion. It's eternal. Now, from here, the Apostle John turns his attention towards an upset that's occurring within the congregation of his audience. John addresses what appears to be false believers, or what he refers to as antichrists, who are promoting and spreading distortions of Christian teachings regarding Jesus Christ. And now, John seeks to provide reassurance to his audience that Christians indeed can rest assured that they do in fact know the truth. So, in our passage today, I believe John will be answering the following question for us. 
in the last hour, in the last of days, how do we as the church faithfully respond to the false teachings of these spiritual contenders of the Christian faith? For John, I believe he makes it very clear that this is a time where we must guard ourselves from false teaching and have God's truth abiding in us. Again, this is a time where we must guard ourselves from false teaching and have God's truth abiding in us. Now, to begin unpacking all of this, we're going to go over three points that John presents to us today in this passage. Uh, The first point, beginning with, that in the last hour, we must be aware of the fact that there will be and are many antichrists. Looking at verse 18, Children, it is the last hour, and just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. From this we know it is the last hour. I'd like to first draw our attention to the fact that John clearly feels that it is urgent to emphasize the time of which our church abides in. It is the last hour. This description of being the last hour is not exactly unique to John. Uh, Elsewhere in the New Testament, we see that this season is also described as the last of days, the last times. There seems to be a consensus from New Testament writers that since the arrival of the Messiah, we are near the end in which Christ will return to his bride. Now, as his disciples, this is exceptionally good news. And yet, John urgently calls us to be attentive to the fact that while we are so close to spending our eternity in our true home with our Lord, we are, in fact, surrounded by immense danger. As I mentioned before, uh, John has transitioned from this warning of becoming enamored with the world. It follows that in light of this warning, we are then introduced to these antichrists, a group of Christ deniers who are not to be confused with the antichrist, that mysterious and powerful, evil figure that has not yet been revealed. Though they're not the same, the description that John applies to this group of false converts is fitting, as these were people presenting a counterfeit Christ to the congregation. In verse 19, John gives us a little bit more clarity on exactly what these antichrists are about. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they were of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it would be manifested that they all are not of us. And listening to what John is saying here, my mind goes back to what Jesus had spoken about concerning his return over in Matthew 24. If you can just briefly turn back with me to Matthew 24, I'd like to turn our attention uh, to verses 4 and 5 specifically. And then we'll jump down to 11 and 12. But beginning at 4 and 5, we'll find that our Lord tells us that, See to it that no one deceives you, for many will come into my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And then jumping down to 11 and 12, Many false prophets have arise, will arise, and will deceive many. And because lawlessness is multiplied, most people's love will grow cold. Now to be sure, we are promised some hard and dangerous times from our Lord. In fact, when I think of the growing opposition facing the global church, I can't help but in my obsession with Lord of the Rings think back to King Theoden's word at the Battle of Helm's Deep. He says, Now 
my heart is doubtful. The world changes, and all that once was strong now proves unsure. Or to give you the Peter Jackson translation, what can men do against such reckless hate? It's easy to be given over to pessimism, especially when all we have to do is just turn on our phones or TV. Yet, if I'm not mistaken, for those of us who are Christian, we do in fact serve a God who is sovereign, who does sustain his people. And looking at chapter or verse 13 of 24, Jesus goes on to give us the following promise that the one who endures to the end, this is the one who will be saved. And there it is. The enduring Christian is the true Christian. The Christian that remains steadfast in the body of Christ, despite all the opposition coming our way, that Christian who perseveres to the end is the true Christian. True Christians do not fall away. And let us not forget that we are indeed in the last hour, and we must be aware of the many antichrists who are out and about, seeking to infect the church with their deception. Now this takes us to John's second point, that in the last hour we must guard ourselves from the teachings of these antichrists. Now, as a missionary to the military, I can definitely tell you that I'm incredibly blessed with the opportunity and the privilege every week to hang out with some of the most amazing people you could ever find trapped at Naval Station Great Lakes. If you're not familiar with Navy culture, uh, there's a reason why Naval Station Great Lakes has often been referred to as great mistakes by the sailors, myself included. It just really is one of those locations that nearly every sailor, regardless of what they believe, they do hope to God Almighty that they'll never get stuck at. Now, due to the nature of this base, for those who don't know, this is a training command where many sailors have just graduated from boot camp. Uh, and so they go on to Naval Station Great Lakes to learn how to do the job that they joined the Navy to do. So that means for me, as a missionary at this installation, I get anywhere between a day to a couple of months to engage with these men and women in uniform. So you can imagine how excited I get when I come across a sailor that's stuck at the base for more than six months. Well, last week, I actually got to have a two-hour conversation with a sailor named Hayden. He was, uh, he's, he's relatively new, but he's, he's going to be heading out uh, within the week. But he's been attending our discipleship meets. And I'll tell you, this kid is struggling with his Christian identity. He was wrestling with some very hard questions, very hard criticisms and assertions that contradict everything that he has come to know about who Jesus is. And I think for many of us, we can be sympathetic to that. I believe John especially was sympathetic to that. We have here John warning this congregation of the immediate danger stemming from these antichrists who have come out from their midst, adamantly reminding these Christians that despite the falling away of these false converts, these Christians have remained. But what does John identify as being the source of their faithfulness? What keeps these Christians falling away from the bride of Christ? Looking here at verses 20 to 21, he tells his audience, But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie is of the truth. You have an anointing from the Holy One, Christian. 
I don't know about you, but that's a very peculiar thing to say. What exactly is this anointing that John is speaking of? And in what way is this anointing connected to what these Christians know? I will admit that this has been somewhat of a head-scratcher for theologians throughout the ages. However, there are some who have come to believe that this anointing is itself the very Word of God, though not the Word preached before the congregation, but the Word received by faith in our hearts, living and active, thanks to the work of God the Holy Spirit. In fact, Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would come to us. The Holy Spirit would come and teach us all things, helping us to remember everything Christ had spoken. And in fact, it's one of the very ministries of the Holy Spirit to testify about the legitimacy of Jesus Christ's identity. In John 15, 26, we'll find Jesus telling his disciples that when the Holy Spirit comes, he will testify about me, and you will also testify about me, because you have been with me from the beginning. Now think about that. If the disciples were qualified to testify about Jesus because they had been with him throughout the duration of his three-year ministry, how much more valuable then is the testimony of the Holy Spirit, who was the very initiator of Jesus' conception, as we see in Matthew 2.18? So, if it's through the Holy Spirit that these Christians have come to know the truth about who Jesus is, it follows that any contradicting claim... It's just merely a lie. And we find that to be the case. Looking at verses 22 and 23. Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. The one who denies the Father and the Son. Everyone who denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. This is and forever will be how we distinguish the Christian from the false convert. All you have to do is evaluate their belief regarding who Jesus Christ is. Who is Jesus Christ to you? Is he a good teacher? Was he a nice guy that had some cool things to say? Don't judge each other, love one another? Or was he Lord? Was he God incarnate? God in flesh? For the Christian, for those of us who submit themselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, confessing him as their King, the one who has come not to abolish what the Scriptures have spoken, but in his affirmation of the Scriptures, fulfilling them through this Jesus Christ, the God-man, we can trust that we have God the Father, the sustainer and protector of our lives. But those, to those who reject the Lordship of Jesus Christ, this is merely a futile proclamation of war against God. This is why, Christians, that in the last hour we must guard ourselves from the false teachings of those who reject the authority and Lordship of Jesus Christ. So then, where do we go from here? If it was John's objective to make these Christians aware of the danger that comes from these antichrists, these false converts, to distinguish them from what it is that they believe about Jesus, what then are we supposed to do? This takes us to John's third point, that in the last hour, 
God's truth must abide in you. Looking here to verses 24 to 27, the Apostle tells us, As for you, let that which you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise which He Himself made to us, eternal life. These things I have written to you about those who are trying to deceive you. And as for you, the anointing whom you have received from Him abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you. But as His anointing teaches you about all things, and is true and is not a lie, and just as He has taught you, abide in Him. The very gospel truth by which us Christians have clung tightly to in faith, this is the truth that must drive you. At no point, brothers brothers and sisters, were we meant to be sustained by clever arguments, persuasive words, or the wisdom of men. The gospel and the gospel alone is where we find the power of God. It's in the gospel that this promise of eternal life abides. It's in God's very words and promises that we find our protection from deception and false teaching. It is His good word that nourishes us like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, teaching us what it means to abide in Christ. For this very reason... John tells us in verse 27, And as for you, the anointing whom you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you. Now, John's not saying that we have no need for teachers of scriptural truth, but rather that there is no teaching outside of the scriptures by which the Christian needs. The word of God in its entirety, as as breathed out to us by God himself, is sufficient to teach us everything we need to know And understand about who God is, who God says we are, and how to be in perfect peace with Him. Do not let the world be the determining factor as to how you live and think. John goes on to say, But as His anointing teaches you about all things, and it is true and not a lie, and just as He taught you, abide in Him. This, Christians, This is where we belong. This is where we must live and think from, for in no other place will our joy be made complete. If we abide in Him, and His words abide in us, that is precisely what we'll have. A joy made complete. This is why that in the last hour, we must let God's truth abide in us. There is no mistake from our reading today that this warning from John is dire. As we stand in the last hour, we have to remember that there are antichrists about. We must be on guard from their false teaching. But most importantly, God's truth must abide in us if we're to navigate through the spiritual war zone. The call to action here is simple and straightforward, brothers and sisters. Be on guard and let God's truth drive you to abide in Him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, 
I lift up my brothers and sisters here today. And I pray, O oh Lord, that the word that we have just heard spoken would truly abide in us, that it would drive us in our every interactions with those that we encounter throughout this week and the weeks to come. Help us, O oh Lord, to grow and understand what it means to abide in you, to have your word abide in us. Let us, O oh Lord, find satisfaction in every promise you give us. In your peace, keep us and sustain us. And it's in your name, O Christ, I pray. Amen.